Welcome to another wonderful episode of Paranormally Speaking. I'm your host, Neil Parks. World's Most Haunted Forests. In Japan, known as the Sea of Trees, the dense forest at the northwest base of Mount Fuji is one of the eeriest places in the world. It's rumored that large underground iron deposits interfere with compasses, setting walkers forth on the wrong paths. Sadder still, the forest has been the site of more than 500 reported suicides since the 1950s. Locals claim to hear their spirits scream through the night. Black Forest in Germany. The Grimm brothers set many of their fairy tales in this bewitching landscape along the Rhine River in southwestern Germany, which looks just as you'd imagine. So densely forested with fir and pine trees that sunlight rarely pierces through. It makes an ideal playground for mythological creatures like sorcerers, werewolves, witches, and kindred or kind-hearted dwarves. For a more adult tale of hauntings, killings, and dark magic in this forest, turn to The Necromancer, first published in 1794. Wishwood Forest in England. A hand reaching out to touch the shoulder of a solitary person. A horse-drawn cart carrying a couple with two sobbing children. These are the reports out of Wishwood Forest. Once part of a larger royal hunting ground in Oxfordshire. Most compelling is the case of Amy Robsart, the wife of the Earl of Leicester. She mysteriously died of a broken neck, confronted her husband as a ghost while he was hunting in Wishwood, and predicted he would join her in ten days, which he did after falling ill. Anyone who meets her, it is said, will befall a similar and swift fate. Devil's Tramping Ground in North Carolina. Deep in the woods, near Harper's Crossroads, about 10 miles east of Siller City, there's a mysterious 40-foot ring where the devil stomps and circles each night, plotting how to bring about the downfall of mankind. Or so the story goes. Even the North Carolina State Department of Agriculture has supposedly taken samples of the soil and has yet to come up with an explanation for why the patch is devoid of growth. Dal Hill in India. The Victoria Boys School, established in the late 19th century in West Bengal, is rumored to be haunted. Students report ownerless footsteps echoing in the corridors, but the surrounding Dal Hill Forest is an even bigger hotbed of paranormal activity, with woodsmen reporting seeing a headless boy wandering among the trees. Romania has the Hoi Bakue Woods. Hoi Bakue in Transylvania has captured attention of the wrong sort of more than half a century. Residents of nearby towns claim the forest which has a circular clearing at the center is a portal and that those who pass through may never return. Anyone who does survive reports feeling anxious and nauseous the whole time they are there. Once said to stand straight and tall, the trees are even twisted into knots now. Island of the Dolls in Mexico the trees of this island near Mexico City are strung with hundreds of dolls, two creepy horror movie-style effects. The island's only inhabitant, Don Julian Santana, discovered the body of a girl in one of his canals more than 50 years ago. He found a doll floating in the same water and, in tribute, hung it on a tree. The first of thousands of dolls he would string up until 2001 when he drowned in the very same canal. Some believe the dolls, many of which are missing limbs, are evil. Others believe they safeguard the island. Depart from Embarcadero Ferry Terminal for the four-hour round trip to see for yourself. Freetown Fall River State Forest in Massachusetts. Part of the Bridgewater Triangle. This 200-square-mile swath of land 
as southeastern Massachusetts is tormented by paranormal activity with layer upon layer of intrigue. The Native Americans who occupied it in the 1600s sold it reluctantly and left behind several burial grounds. It was believed to be the site of satanic murders in the 70s and 80s, and it's still the backdrop for odd sightings, UFOs, poltergeists, fireballs. Randolph Forest in Maine, billed as the smallest town in the state. Randolph Forest, flanked by residences, has an outsized reputation among locals for being haunted. Abandoned cars and ripped up railroad tracks that once used to usher veterans to a hospital, now grown over with grass, are the backdrop for reported flashes of light, the appearance of orbs, and strange ambient noises. During the daytime, the woods seem harmless, but we dare you to venture there when night falls. Epping Forest in England, stretching from East London to Essex, 6,000-acre Epping Forest has been the setting of horrors both real and, well, debatably so. It served as the hideout for outlaw Dick Turpin and cop killer Harry Roberts and has also been the hiding place for murder victims, among those the children targeted by Ronald Jebson, an episode of the British living TV show, attempted to find the ghost of Turpin, but the team ended up lost themselves, perhaps a prank of the elusive spirit. Robinson Woods in Illinois. Alexander Robinson, born Chi-Chi Penquay and chief of the Potawatomi and Ottawa and Chippewa nations, is buried along with his families in these woods. Orbs of light throughout the night and thought to be the spirits of Robinson's family appear both day and night, while during the day, groups of deer sometimes circle visitors without apparent reason. Near the graves, people tell of smelling lilacs during the winter. Fifth Wood in England. In the early 19th century, the Greenlaw House, within walking distance of Frith Wood, was converted into barracks for French prisoners captured during the Napoleonic Wars. A woman supposedly fell in love with a prisoner who was beaten to death at that time by her father and brother. She died shortly thereafter, possibly by her own hand. Her ghost returns to the site of her lover's murder. Some say she sobs. Others say she runs frantically through the trees. And then Old House Woods in Virginia. This 50-acre forest near the Chesapeake Bay is a refuge for the ghosts of 18th century British soldiers and pirates who once passed through the nearby historic port town of Matthews and who may have left buried treasure chests in its soft drift. At the center of the woods off Haven Beach Road was a solitary and dilapidated colonial homestead that burned to the ground. Of all the sightings here, perhaps the most intriguing was reported by fishermen on White's Creek in the 19th century, a ship silently plying the creek, continuing on over the beach and disappearing into the woods. Fantastic. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction. Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. 
That's terrific. Welcome back. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, artist, illustrator, screenwriter, filmmaker, producer, all-around awesome Jedi super-duper geek, nerd, and a loving husband and father of two wonderful children. Thank you for sticking with me on Paranormally Speaking. As I mentioned earlier, this week I'm discussing haunted jungles and cursed rainforests. Now, the difference between a jungle and a rainforest. Your jungles are lush with foliage and thick vines and shrubs and whatnot on the ground level. So you got to whack your way through with a machete or cut your way through with some other sharp object. But then you've got the rainforest, which it's it barely sees the light of day on the ground because the top, the canopy to it, is so thick because the trees are much taller and blocks most of the sunlight. But light does get through well enough to produce life and um, not as thick of a foliage and and vines and greenery and so forth. Now, that's the difference, really, between your typical jungle and a rainforest. Because you can have a rainforest jungle as well, which is like 50-50, thick vines and shrubs and whatnot, along with a canopy on top. And there are creatures and humans and living beings and all types of species of different animals that we've yet to discover or even knew existed. Uh, there are tribes of indigenous peoples that have been cut off from modern world civilization for so long that most of them will probably never be discovered in our lifetime. Unbelievably, more than 200,000 acres of rainforest are burned every day. That is more than 150 acres lost every minute of every day, and 78 million acres lost every year. More than 20% of the Amazon rainforest is already gone, and much more is severely threatened as the destruction continues. World's Most Haunted Forests In Japan... Known as the Sea of Trees, the dense forest at the northwest base of Mount Fuji is one of the eeriest places in the world. It's rumored that large underground iron deposits interfere with compasses, setting walkers forth on the wrong paths. Sadder still, the forest has been the site of more than 500 reported suicides since the 1950s. Locals claim to hear their spirits scream through the night. Black Forest in Germany. The Grimm brothers set many of their fairy tales in this bewitching landscape along the Rhine River in southwestern Germany, which looks just as you'd imagine. So densely forested with fir and pine trees that sunlight rarely pierces through. It makes an ideal playground for mythological creatures like sorcerers, werewolves, witches, and kindred or kind-hearted dwarves. For a more adult tale of hauntings, killings, and dark magic in this forest, turn to The Necromancer, first published in 1794. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. These 17 terrifying places in Vermont will haunt your dreams tonight. If you are afraid of things that go bump in the night, then these places may not be for you. Vermont has a rich history of hauntings that could make even the most skeptical person think twice about dismissing these terrifying tales. After all, many others claim the stories were false, then experienced strange happenings while investigating them. If you've ever had a book fly across the room or spoken to a ghostly apparition, you may not need convincing. But for those who don't believe, here are 17 of the scariest places in Vermont that may haunt your dreams tonight. The Eddie House in Chittenden. The Eddie House was originally the home of Zephyrinah Eddie, whose three children descended from a long line of psychics. From a young age, the children named William, Horatio, and Mary were mediums and played with ghostly children, went into trances, spoken spirits' voices, 
and were eventually expelled from school for levitating desks and making books fly across the room. Zephina had enough of the paranormal activity and sold his children to a traveling sideshow where they were cruelly exploited for 14 years. The children moved back to the Eddie house after their father's death and turned the home into an inn called the Green Tavern, where they held seances for guests and conjured up spirits. Henry Steele, Olcott, went to validate the authenticity of the stories and convinced of the authenticity of Eddie's abilities, wrote a book called The People from Other Worlds, which included a description of his exploration of the Eddies, including drawing of the spirits, the grounds, and Eddie's house. Today, the Eddie house is home to the many spirits that were originally conjured at that point. Number two, the Quincy Inn at Marshland Farm. In Quincy, originally built in 1793, this historic inn was purchased by John Porter in 1845. He and his wife Jane lived there until they passed. John in 1886 and Jane in 1900. And Jane Porter's ghost is said to still reside in the inn. Witnesses have heard noises and footsteps in rooms when they are vacant and her apparition has been seen coming from the dining room into the main hallway. Additionally, her presence has been felt in the dining area and unexplained whistling has been heard in the bar area. Another spirit thought to dwell here is young Patrick Marsh, who hides guests, belongings, and returns them later. He is also blamed for tinkering with the TVs and lights. Today, the inn is still in operation. To find out more about the inn, search Google. Number three, the Vermont Police Academy in Pittsford. The Vermont Police Academy was once a state hospital for tuberculosis patients, and it is said to still be haunted by a nurse named Mary, who worked there during that era and had contracted TB herself. All of the old call buttons are still in the recruits room, and it is said that if pushed, the friendly ghost of the nurse, Mary, will pay a visit during the night. Number four, Emily's Bridge in Stowe, Vermont, which is where I'm at right now. Not at the bridge, but in Stowe. Legend has it that the Gold Brook Bridge, also known as Emily Bridge, is haunted by a ghost named Emily. There are many stories of how Emily died on the bridge. The most popular is that she was supposed to elope with a lover who was meeting her at the bridge, and when he didn't show, she hung herself from the rafters. Even the locals are a bit weary of this place since sightings, noises, and lights have been seen reported over the years. It says something when the locals are talking about these Vermont ghost stories, since most of the locals are very closed off about such things. Number five, Glastonbury Mountain in Glastonbury. There have been several unsolved disappearances on Glastonbury Mountain, and folklore has it that Native Americans believed it to be cursed and used it as a burial ground. All the trails abruptly stop partway up the mountain as is forbidding hikers to go any further, and the mountain is said to be eerily silent, as if birds and animals don't even venture up there. Complete silence in the woodland is highly unusual for Vermont, even without the stories. This is why the mountain is one of the scariest places in Vermont, not to mention the rash of UFO sightings that have been seen in that region. The Opera House at Enosburg Falls in Enosburg. It was constructed in 1892, the Opera House is said to be the home to a ghost named Willie, who was the son of a workman who died alone after breaking his leg in the attic. Willie is blamed for the moving of props and stealing scripts as well as the footsteps that come from the attic. Number seven is the Bowman House in Shrewsbury. Apparition of a woman believed to be Mrs. Bowman has been seen there. Legend has it that those who stand in the dark, staying at the top of the stairs, develop an intense feeling of foreboding, almost as if the spirits here don't stand for misbehaving. It is said that a visiting child who stuck out her tongue at a picture was punished when the picture flew off the wall and struck her. I can't think of many more haunted places in Vermont than that one. Norwich University in Northfield. 
Four halls are involved in haunting legends at Norwich University. At Alumni Hall, legend has it that there was a haunting boarding, boarded up dorm room in which a student hung themselves. And a few years later, his brother was given the same room and hanged himself as well. The legend surrounding Chaplin Hall concerns a spirit who lurks by the front door. And when the hall was used as a library, it would cause books to float off the shelves in both Hawkins and Ransom Halls. Students say that they have awoken to the sound of screaming and are unable to move or breathe when they hear it. And at, a, at Sabine Field, a ghostly female is said to stand guard over the gate to the football field. Number nine, Bomasine West Castleton in the lake. West Castleton was once full of quarries and mills with immigrants from Italy, Ireland, and Eastern Europe thriving in busy villages. But in the 1930s, West Castleton was completely abandoned and is now known as a ghost town. And not just because no one resides there, no one living that is. There is something terrifying about these abandoned places in Vermont. Residents would travel by rowboat to their favorite pub at the other side of the lake. But one night, three friends set out and never returned to West Castleton. In the morning, their empty boat was found floating in the lake. Today, it is said that a ghostly rowboat can be seen moving across the lake, the oars not making ripples in the tranquil waters. Number 10, the University of Vermont in Burlington. Better known as UVM, it is not only the largest higher education institute in Vermont, it has more haunted buildings than anywhere else in the state. UVM has bought many former homes in the city and turned them into campus buildings. One such building is the counseling center that people have reported seeing there the ghost of Captain John Knapp, the house's former owner. Knapp causes havoc by knocking over buckets, slamming doors and windows. The nearby public relations building was once owned by John E. Booth, and some think that he makes hanging sounds and banging sounds around the building and speaks when no one else is around. One of the most haunted buildings on campus is the Bitter Sweet House. Multiple people have reported seeing full-body apparitions there, and the ghost is believed to be the spirit of Margaret Smith, who lived a solitary life in the house after becoming widowed at a young age until her death there in 1961. Some have seen in detail a woman with neat hair and a long dress. Other people have claimed to see a blurry version of a woman, perhaps one of the most tragic stories on the campus, is the residence hall converse in 1920. A young medical student named Henry committed suicide there. Students have experienced lost items and unexplained movement of doors and windows. Please hold for an important message from our sponsor. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available. And last spring, my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Creepy creatures that call Canada home. Canada is a vast country, and there are parts of it that still remain mysterious to this day. It's not surprising that in such a huge place, legends and stories have sprung up about some pretty amazing and creepy creatures. From giant sea serpents to the famous Sasquatch, these are some of the incredible beasts that are said to call Canada home. Ogopogo in British Columbia. 
Canada's answer to the Loch Ness Monster and America's champ in Lake Champlain. Ogopogo sightings date back as far as the 19th century. The Ogopogo calls Lake Akinagawan in British Columbia home. It's said to be a massive sea serpent with a horse-like head. Some skeptics think sightings of Ogopogo may just be logs or ordinary water animals, while others are convinced they've seen the real thing. Canada is actually said to be home to a number of sea monsters, with Ogopogo being the most famous. Others include Champ in Lake Champlain, which starts in New York and Vermont, and Gassiendathea, a dragon said to live in the Great Lakes. It especially likes Lake Ontario, apparently. Sasquatch in British Columbia. The Sasquatch is one of a number of similar creatures that have been sighted all over the world. In the U.S., they're better known by the name Bigfoot. In Nepal, people have reported seeing the Yeti or the Abominable Snowman. These creatures all share a number of features. They're usually said to be a larger than the average person's size, and they're covered in thick hair. In fact, Sasquatch is a First Nation Salish word meaning hairy man. Some people believe that these creatures are the fabled missing link in evolution between apes and humans. They're said to usually live in defense dense forests in those areas, especially in the Pacific Northwest. They're also supposed to be very shy around humans, which has led many to doubt their existence. Akhlut, the Northwest Territories. This creature looks like something straight out of Pokemon or Avatar. The Akhlut is a shape-shifting spirit from Ilt mythology. It's a spirit that can appear as an orca whale while on the water and a giant wolf whale while on land. It's said to be huge and comes onto the land from the ocean to hunt. The best way to tell if there was an anult on the loose was to look for its tracks. If there were wolf prints leading to or from the ocean, then look out. The anult's not picky about what it eats, animals or people. Whatever's unlucky enough to be around when it's hunting. Loup Garou in Quebec. Loup Garou translates pretty much directly to, as werewolf, but this French-Canadian monster is a little more complicated than your average lycanthrope, someone who can transform into a wolf. There are different legends about this monster. One legend has it that you can become one if you break the tradition of Lent for seven years in a row. Another legend suggests that Loup Garou is under a spell that lasts for 101 days, and it breaks when it is passed on to another person. Unlike traditional werewolves, the loup garou can change into a wolf whenever it wants. Some legends say that a loup garou might not even turn into a wolf. They say that those affected by the curse can turn into cats, pigs, or even owls. Tranquil Sanitarium, Kamloops, British Columbia. The foreboding ruins of the sprawling Tranquil Sanitarium outside Kamloops, British Columbia, are straight out of a nightmare. Originally built in 1907 as a treatment center for tuberculosis sufferers, it later served as a mental institution before ultimately being abandoned in the early 1980s. Echoes of its former residence seem to remain. However, as witnesses report off-the-charts paranormal activity, ranging from orbs to eerie disembodied moans, these days you can tour the eerie location surely one of the most haunted places in Canada, with a guide from Tranquil Farm Fresh, which now manages the site. For the truly fearless or downright crazy, there's even an escape room experience in the Stygain tunnels that link the various buildings on the property from one to the other. Craig Dorak Castle, Victoria, built in the 1890s for coal miner Robert Dunsmuir and his family. This Victorian-era mansion has since become one of the most haunted places in Canada. Rumors of a piano that plays by itself and sightings of a ghostly woman in white have frequently been reported. Many attribute the castle's supernatural uh, activity to Dunsmuir's untimely demise just a year before the building was completed. 
Fairmont Bent Springs Hotel in Bent, Alberta. Thought the Bates Motel and Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho or the Overlook Hotel and Stanley Kubrick's The Shining were scary locations with scary accommodations? Fairmont Bent Springs Hotel is easily one of Canada's greatest hotels, but it's also rumored to be one of the most haunted places in Canada. Built in 1888 by the Canadian Pacific Railway, this hotel is the site of numerous terrifying ghost sightings, including a bride who allegedly died falling from the hotel's marble staircase and a retired head bellman named Sam McCauley, who continues to haunt the hotel dressed in full uniform. Keg Mansion in Toronto. Today, it's one of the many locations of the Keg Steakhouse franchise, but the legendary Keg Mansion on Jarvis Street in Toronto was once the private residence of industrialist Hart Massey and his family. As legend has it, in 1915, after the death of Massey's beloved only daughter, Lillian, one of the maids was so stricken by grief that she hung herself. Another version of the story involves the maid killing herself for fears her rumored affair with a Massey man would be revealed. When Lillian died, the daughter of Mr. Massey, one of the maids was so stricken by grief that she hung herself. Either way, the ghostly image of a maid hanging by her neck has been seen by more than one keg visitor through the years. Fairmont Chateau Laurier in Ottawa, Canada. Business tycoon Charles Melville Hayes commissioned the Fairmont Chateau, but died tragically aboard the Titanic just days before the hotel's grand opening in 1912. Hayes' spirit has since been rumored to be seen roaming throughout the property. Had we invested our time and money into crafting the lavish chateau, only to die mere days before its completion, we'd likely be inclined to return as well. The Old Spaghetti Factory in Vancouver. It's been said that the ghost of a train conductor still haunts this popular eatery. Built atop an old underground railway track in Vancouver's Gastown, the neighborhood, inexplicable cold drafts and mysteriously rearranged table settings are the calling card of the deceased conductor. Making matters truly spine-tingling is a photograph of a 1950s-era decommissioned electric trolley now featured in the restaurant's dining room. The photo depicts hints of a ghostly figure believed to be the train conductor standing on the steps of the trolley. Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. Prior to serving as Canada's hockey shrine, this building was once a branch of the Bank of Montreal. Legend has it that a lonely bank teller named Dorothy took her own life after her romantic advances were rejected by the bank's manager. Dorothy's ghost is now believed to occupy the Hockey Hall of Fame, with some visitors reporting they heard inexplicable sounds of a woman crying throughout the building. <laughs> Plains of Abraham in Quebec City. In 1759, British forces under Major General James Wolfe staged a three-month siege of Quebec City culminating in the Battle of the Plains of Abraham, being the location of one of the most famous battles in Canadian history. It's no wonder it's no one, it's not one of the most haunted locations in Canada currently, with numerous sightings of ghostly soldiers appearing throughout the fields and tunnels. Both Wolfe and French Major General Louis-Joseph de Montcalm died in the battle. And you can't help but wonder whether their spirits are still battling it out today. Please hold for an important message from our sponsor. Unparalleled Insider Access. Get it all. Introducing the SiriusXM Platinum VIP Plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. 
call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer details apply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. The Russian Navy declassifies Cold War encounters. They cracked this wide open. The CIA has really been working hard to get this information out. And what better time to get all this information out than when we're at the tail end of a pandemic, possibly still the middle of the pandemic, whether it be the eye of the storm. There's mass confusion all over the world. There's a race war going on in the United States. There's vegetarians versus meat eaters. There's the Republicans wanting to choke the middle class and the poor to death. There's Republicans launching vicious attacks, physical attacks, and threatening the lives of Democrats in office. Uh, An assault on our capital uh, from insurgents that has not happened since the War of 1812. Um, Just a few hundred people did a better job than the Confederacy did in regards to reaching the steps of the Capitol and wreaking havoc on our elected officials and threatening the lives of democratic lawmakers. The world's a confusing time right now. You've got people calling themselves pro-life that are really nothing more than pro-birth because they'll fight to the very end for the unborn, but once the kid's here, screw you. We're going to cut all funding. We're going to cut all free food, free education. We're going to cut it all. And you know what? We're going to force that woman to not allow her to have body autonomy and say, nope, you got to carry the kid no matter whether you were raped, no matter whether the contraceptive didn't work. Oh, you know what? We're going to ban contraceptives now. So good luck. Pro-life. No, not really. It's a dark, confusing time we're in right now. And I bring these stories to you to try and create my own or create a community of people who are into this sort of bizarre and weird phenomenon and just forget the world around us and try to escape. That's why I do the podcast I do. Try to make life fun with what time we do have. Now, as I was saying, this is a great catch by Phil Ewing at Navy Times. Scoop Deck blog. The Russian Navy confirmed declassified It's records on Cold War UFO sightings. Turns out, 50% of UFO encounters are connected with oceans. 15% more than with lakes. So UFOs tend to stick to water for some reason. Which really blows a hole in the whole Eminite Shyamalan movie with signs. Because a planet like ours that is 70 plus percent water, the aliens that came to it were like deathly allergic to water. And it would turn them into steaming ash, much like what happened to the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz. Threw a bucket of water on her, she melted. Same with those aliens from that movie. So, we are a planet that is predominantly water. And these UFO sightings seem to be hovering around and taking place near the ocean, near massive lakes. And one Russian officer explained on several of these instances that the instruments gave reading of material objects moving at incredible speeds. A sub-commander recalled calculations showed speeds of about 230 knots or 400 kph speeding so fast is a challenge even on the surface but water resistance is much higher. It was like the objects defied the laws of physics. There's only one explanation the creatures who built them far surpass us in development on so many levels. Insert jab about superior UFO submarine technology here. All joking aside, in one alleged incident in 1982, three Navy diver trainees reportedly died pursuing what survivors described as a group of humanoid creatures. What I mentioned earlier that this happened in Lake Bacow. The world's deepest lake. The Loveland, Ohio Frog. In Ohio folklore, the Loveland Frog, also known as the Loveland Frogman or Loveland Lizard, is a legendary humanoid frog described as standing roughly four feet tall, allegedly spotted in Loveland, Ohio in 1972. The Loveland Frog legend gained renewed attention 
when a Loveland police officer reported a colleague that he had seen an animal consistent with the descriptions of the frogman. After a purported sighting in 2016, the second officer called a news station to report that he had shot and killed the same type of creature some weeks after the 1972 incident and had identified it as an overly large iguana that was missing its tail. The University of Cincinnati folklore professor Edgar Slotkin compared the Loveland frog to Paul Bunyan, saying that the stories about it have been passed down for several decades and that sighting reports seem to come in predictable cycles. In May 2014, the Loveland Frog legend was made into a musical titled Hot Damn, It's the Loveland Frog. According to various legends, the creature was first sighted in 1955 with some versions of the story specifying that being the month of May when it occurred. There are three different versions of that story that only differ slightly from each other. The three stories that start the same way with a businessman or a traveling salesman driving along an unnamed road late at night. The stories start to diverge at that point. In one story, the driver was heading out of the Branch Hill neighborhood when he spotted three figures stood erect on their hind legs along the side of the road, each three to four feet tall, with leathery type skin and frog faces. In the other two versions of the story, the creatures were spotted under or over a poorly lit bridge. There are a number of bridges in Loveland going over the Little Miami River. The story tells of a businessman watching the figures converse for a while until one of the creatures held a wand over its head and fired a spray of sparks, startling the observer into fleeing the scene. In August 2016, local Cincinnati TV stations reported that a night of fun turned into a chilling tale of horror when two teenagers playing Pokemon Go between Loveland Madeira Road and Lake Isabella claimed to see a giant frog near the lake on August 3rd that stood up and walked on its hind legs. It was later revealed to be a local student from an Archbishop Mueller High School in a homemade costume. James Renner's science fiction mystery novel, The Man from Primrose Lane, features a fictionalized version of the Loveland Frog. Matt Roberts' horror fiction anthology, Little Horror Stories for the Soul, also features stories of fictionalized version of the Loveland Frogmen in the novella Suburban Legend. And also, Ohio is known for the London, Ohio Werewolf. I wrote about that encounter and put a creative spin at the end of it. Um, Creative liberty in the the story itself. It was chronicled in uh, the documentary series My Haunting, I believe it was, on Discovery. And it dealt with a new family that moved into London, Ohio, and purchased a house in the rural farmland outside of town. And strange things started happening when the husband would go to work shortly after they moved in, and he was working trick work, like a really weird schedule, late at night, not coming home till early in the morning. And his wife was left at home to basically put things away, make a home for themselves, organize everything, unbox their items, and he would do what he could with what little time he had when he came home from work. So when she was up late at night in the kitchen, she noticed eyes peering in at her from the outside by one of the giant oak trees close to the house. And they would go from yellow to red, and they'd be peering in at her. And each time she saw them, they moved closer to the window. Until one evening, it made its move and threw its arm through the window of the kitchen, reaching in at her and had fur all over the arm and long, thick claws. She reported this incident to her husband, who then started doing his own investigation into the incident and trying to track this creature once he found footprints belonging to said creature that the woman identified as hairy and lanky and monstrous. One morning he got up relatively early on a day off, to go and get breakfast for them from 
the town as he goes out to start his vehicle. And this is right at the peak of winter time. There was snow on the ground. It was very cold. And when he turned on his truck, the headlights and the taillights came on. The taillights omitted a red glow. And behind him, he could see the outline of a giant beast of some sort that threw its arm up over its face to shield its eyes. He got out, and when seeing it with his own eyes, it climbed up the side of the house, jumped off the roof, and headed up the hill. A couple of days later, he got into contact with a friend that he had made through work, and they decided to follow the location of where this thing had headed into, follow the tracks, and led them to in a secluded area of cabin that was in the woods that the windows were boarded up, but the tracks stopped at the back door, the footprints. And his friends started banging wildly on the back door, hurling insults, cursing at whatever was inside, daring it to come out. And he thought, you know, we're standing here with shotguns. This is going to look really bad. We need to move on. So he starts asking people around town who owns that cabin, and they mentioned a name of a man, and he tracked that man down to a tire shop that was locally owned. And he worked in the tire shop and stayed in the back all the time. He never came up front. They just wheeled things to him, brought things into him, and he would come out of the shadows and work on the stuff and then go back into what was described as his lair. It was his little workstation in the back, and it was dimly lit. But you knew that he was back there working around and had tools to go to and use. So he and his friend devised a plan to take a flat tire to the shop, have them wheel it over to him and work on it so they could get a better look at this guy. And as he emerged from the shadows when they came in, he was every bit of six five to six eight. Um, grayish skin looked very sickly, but a broad build of a man, broad shoulders, thick build, looked like he could knock a house over, had piercing yellow eyes and just stared at them, took the tire into the back of the shadowed area where he was working, repaired it, rolled it back out to his shop manager, who then charged the two guys for the repair. And when they took the wheel and tire back to the pickup truck to load it, there was a weird inscription written on the inside of the wheel itself that went around in a circle. And it was strange hieroglyphics, strange markings. They couldn't make heads or tails of what it was. So he went, the owner, uh, the, the husband, went to the local library, started looking into books of legends, books of the occult, books of witchcraft, and found that those were markings that were used to ward off evil spirits or markings used to ward off shapeshifter skinwalkers. And this was brought to his attention upon reading it, that maybe that man had a secret or a curse and had written that inscription on there as a way to keep him from returning to that property when he makes the change into a lycanthrope. So they put that out of their mind for a while after that day. The encounter stopped happening. The visits stopped happening. The creature stopped showing up. And he attributed that to the markings that were written on the inside of that tire by the man who repaired it, who potentially could be the Loveland werewolf and wrote those markings on there as a way to ward him away from that property to not damage or hurt anyone or damage the house or hurt anyone while he was a victim of that curse of, of becoming a werewolf. Now, many, many months passed after this and the sheriff came to his home, uh, to the man's home and, um, said that he knew he was asking about that cabin. He knew that they had made some form of contact with the man who owned it and that he needed them to come see something. So he and his friend went back out to the cabin with the police department 
with the sheriff. And he opened up the door and showed them what the inside of the cabin looked like. And there was a room that was there that was padded with like steel walls welded together, thick steel. They had claw marks in it, shackles and chains, and like a skylight that allowed whatever was in there to to get fresh oxygen, to see the sky. And it smelled like wet dog and death. And the old man, or whether he was old or not, died in that cabin alone and potentially cursed with the curse of becoming a werewolf in Loveland, Ohio. That is where the actual story stops. But like I said, I wrote about this encounter in my fourth, uh, fifth book, Haunted Enough, and put a creative spin at the end of it for my own amusement. You'll have to check it out sometime. It's called Haunted Enough, written by Neil Parks. You can find that, of course, on Amazon or through any book dealer that you know of, Barnes & Noble. The list goes on. Please hold for an important message from our sponsor. Well, that's it for today. See you next time on Paranormally Speaking. I'm Neil Parks, your host. Just because you see